This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, and welcome to Bridging Philly. Literacy and More is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide access to community resources for the empowerment of Philadelphia families living in resource-scarce areas. We sat down for a discussion about early childhood learning. The mission of Literacy and More is to help parents find access to quality early childhood education. Sheridan Howard's Newsmaker this week is founder of Purple House Project PA, a local nonprofit that's focused on strengthening women who've fallen victim to domestic violence. In a world where so many things have been taken away from the women that we serve, we want to provide them with tangible resources that they can keep with them no matter where they go. Antoinette Lee's Philly Rising Changemaker is an eight-year-old lymphoma survivor who is cheering on Bryce Harper and the Phillies. The Phillies are heroes because they never give up and they make people happy and the whole city is rooting for them to do good. Go Phillies! (laughs) All of that is on the way on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Literacy and More is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide access to community resources for the empowerment of families in Philadelphia living in resource-scarce areas. Now, the group was founded by Rachel Honoré. She's been a resident of West Philly since the 1990s. Rachel and one of her team members, Ann Keenan, joins us now to talk about literacy and more. Welcome to Bridging Philly, ladies. Thank you you. so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. Of course. Rachel, let's start out with you. How did Literacy and More come about? Now, I understand that you were involved in the early childhood education world and system. How did Literacy and More evolve from that? And it evolved from me petitioning and advocating for my son's uh, rights early and in him having the diagnosis of autism. So in trying to look for the services that he needed and advocating for those rights evolved into just what you said and became the genesis of literacy and more and just a simple circle of parents. That's how it started. What's the mission of literacy and more? The mission of literacy and more is to help parents find access to quality early childhood education and to remove some of those barriers, some that to others may seem like not a big deal or some of the things we actually take for granted, but uh, parents who may have certain things that hinder them just to help them get on track and um, just to, to be able to have them enroll in early childhood education without a hitch. Gotcha. Well, parents definitely need help. I can tell you that much. Any little hand or help that we can get um, is definitely something that uh, all parents can appreciate, I'm sure. And tell me about your involvement with Literacy and More. When did you start with them? 
Uh, Rachel and I, I think, go back um, about seven or eight years and um, through my work at the Philly Book Bank. And we just have just talked and talked and talked about ways that we can um, help families holistically with the barriers to learning. And Rachel has just been such an inspiration because she's boots on the ground and she's just always talking to people and connecting with people. And we just have a common uh, core uh, belief that we have to remove whatever barriers kids have to learning. I mean, the example is if a kid has a toothache, they're going to have a problem learning. Um, And there's just so many different barriers. And Rachel is just tirelessly working to remove those barriers so the kids can learn. And um, and it's all based around literacy. So we we just are kindred spirits. And uh, I think we make a good team. And I would follow her anywhere because she's so powerful. Oh, that's awesome. Rachel, talk about, if you could, in more detail, some of the barriers to learning that you've seen uh, during your time as a professional in early childhood education. Things as simple as having other siblings and to provide for them as well. Um, One of the parents that I came across had to decide between um, choosing car fare to take her children to school versus Pampers. Um, Another situation was a mother um, was illiterate and she couldn't read. How to uh, go about finding what does quality early childhood education look like? What's the checklist? All these things can become very intimidating um, to parents. So one of the things that I noticed as I was looking at your website, uh, I saw a lot of books Kids with books in their hands, kids reading all over the place, books in bags. There were a lot of books going on. So I'm I'm thinking, of course, books is a big part or books are a big part, I should say, of uh, some of the programs that you offer at Literacy and More. Can you talk about books and 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 how to encourage kids to to have a lifelong love of learning uh, and reading? Absolutely. So books and literacy and learning All of this is connected and, as they say, inextricably intertwined. The fact that you are starting your child off and enrolling them in the process and finding child care, that child care center is going to promote literacy. You're going to plant the seed early. You're going to do all the things that you need to do in terms of having that child promote early childhood literacy. Learning how to read means everything. A huge problem in which our federal government um, is aware of and actually states is the, I'll say, I'll paraphrase it by saying the failure of academics, which is literacy. Studies show, facts show, many studies have been done to show that children who start off knowing how to read and can read by the third grade at the end of the third grade, at the beginning of beginning of the fourth, they show that they um, are able to go further. They're able to go further in life. They're able to go further in education. And it is proven. So if we are to, as a society, try and help further along our kids, we're going to give them that tool and we're going to plant the seed early with literacy. 
Without it, it's the beginning of everything. And somehow that turns into relationships and routines and things like that, that I could really go into. But I'll I'll stop by saying <laughs> literacy is life. I understand. And I agree. And I'm sure you would agree as well. Um, I agree. But one thing that Rachel and I are just starting to develop is we can give out all the books in the world, but we really have to assist the kids with um, with their reading skills as well. The pandemic just uh, lowered uh, where we were, and we've made some strides in the past year or the past few months of this school year, but we really have to work on that. So that's something we're kind of developing right now is uh, really trying to help the kids with their um, issues with learning, because what good is a book if they can't read it? I mean, the pictures are wonderful, don't get me wrong, but... um, That's the basis. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And I was going to ask you both about how COVID affected things, because, of course, we know about that deficit, that COVID learning deficit that a lot of kids uh, experienced during those two years. And especially if you're talking early education, those are crucial years Mm -hmm. where foundations are laid and, you know, a lot of kids kind of missed out. So you said you've been trying to work with parents and work with schools and work with kids to try to catch up. Tell me about that and how that looks. So I will say trying different and innovative ways to get parents excited, to get children excited about it. We kind of have to, you know, use different strategies in which to try and uh, get them online. So a lot of ways would be to refer them. We're working on a program where there's a referral service. We're working on a program or we actually have a program in place in which um, on Friday nights we have a hangout. So we're doing book clubs. Um, A huge part of this is the introduction of children to multicultural books and seeing themselves in books. So seeing themselves as the heroes, the victors, the um, winning big challenges. Is part of the old, uh, can be part of and seen as the overall strategy. So there are a lot of different ways that we can look at it. And in many ways, we really haven't until several years ago added culture into the mix. And if we want our children to be excited, then they have to um, have these scenarios and uh, they have to have the honesty of their environments, but they also have to have the hope of being able to um, see themselves in different ways and see themselves in different characters. So, um, and and different elements. So that is part of the strategy as well. All the different- Absolutely. Absolutely. I can see how that is extremely important. And Anne and Rachel, you can both speak to this. I know this is important in order to get excited about seeing yourselves in these stories and these books is to put some of these electronics away. I mean, there's so much competition with books now because you got the internet, kids have tablets in their hands all day long, all, you know, when they're not, if they're not in school, if they're not, if they're outside for a minute, when they come back in, you know, they got the tablets, they've got the phones, some of them, even at young ages. How do you compete with that? And, and what do you tell parents as far as, hey, put the electronics away, get more reading time in? I mean, so, I think it starts as, as simply as just cuddling up with a book at night. I mean, some of my best memories with my kids were, and sometimes I fell asleep, I think, before they did. But just, you know, that snuggle time, that connection over a book, and um, it, it's just a connection you, you, you can't beat. But um, 
And I also think like Rachel was saying, you know, having the multicultural books and, and the books of high interest, the kids love the graphic novels. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's not literature. Who cares? If they like what they're reading, they're going to get excited about it. And that's what we want. They're not going to get excited about the 1952 copy of the Hardy Boys. It's not going to work. So I think if you get them interested and you start it early, Rachel's uh, just ran a baby shower, which was just so incredible. I mean, start in the womb, um, but just really get them excited about reading. And I think maybe then you can compete with the electronics. I don't think you're ever going to push them completely to the side, but at least you can compete. And you know what? You can travel in a book. You can travel in a book and right. you can get away from some of your problems and your struggles. Sorry, I could go on about that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, of course. And that's all very true. Rachel, what do you say about that? I totally agree with everything that Anne says. That's why we're literally on the same page with everything. I want to add in addition to that, um, the routines, the routines and the social emotional part that is added um, in addition. And um, like Anne said, we're not going to be able to necessarily take away um, all the electronics completely. But what we can do is start to have some sort of a balance because with the, with this new generation, that is what they've grown up on. Uh, they didn't have the, you know, they were before the beepers and I hope I'm not aging myself and, you know, somewhat they were before that age, but right now taking that away could mean a lot, but we can introduce them to the Kindles and have that balance and but we still have to try and um keep pushing it keep pushing it as if taking a book to grandma's house is just as natural as taking that cell phone so absolutely absolutely gotta keep pushing now tell me about the resource fairs. I know that's a big part of what literacy and more does describe the resource fairs and how often you have them so the resource fairs are a new venture. And so the resource fairs, we provide parents with opportunities from health and wellness all the way down to, um, you know, where they're at. I think a big part is saying like for some moms, they may not be or some family members or caregivers or even single dads, they may not be ready to jump back in to society, but there are different things that you can do to assist them. And now there, we've been blessed with so many programs that can meet these parents and meet their, their dynamics as to where they are. So for instance, we may have um, fairs beginning with health and wellness. And a lot of that health and wellness starts with mental health and understanding where you are in all of this. And then the next step may be to finding and matching employers with that dynamic. And then another may be a huge part of it is using your village and knowing what's within your community, talking to other parents, being able to have that structure where there are parents who may be uh, struggling with you and have that sort of uh, type of support. So we've been looking at doing it in several different ways. And so far, these resource fairs have been um, several times a year. We're hoping to increase them. And of course, you just had and mentioned that community baby shower. Are you going to be doing more events like that? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that goes back to finding out um, or being able to reach out and using different strategies in which to do so and not just being so rigid about things, but enjoying each other, enjoying one another, enjoying where we are, enjoying the, you know, the, the different generations and enjoying upon the strengths that we can draw from one another to just help us bridge the gaps and disconnects. Rachel and Anne, thank you so much for joining us today. Rachel, why don't you tell us how everyone can reach out and learn more about Literacy and More? You can find us on Instagram um, under L-I-T-E-E-R-A-C-Y and more. You could email us at literacyandmore.org or you can find us on Facebook can reach us yeah we're at the philly book bank we're on also on instagram and facebook and we um have a website and you can reach out to me at Anne at phillybookbank.org all right sounds good rachel honoree and ann keenan thank you so much and we appreciate you taking your time out to share more about literacy and more on bridging philly thank you thank you Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Christine Brunson is founder of Purple House Project PA, which helps domestic violence victims with an emphasis on holistic healing. Sharaday Howard brings us our Newsmaker of the Week. Our newsmaker this week is 32-year-old Christine Brunson, founder of the Purple House Project Pennsylvania, a local nonprofit focused on empowering and transitioning women impacted by domestic violence. Now, Brunson grew up in North Philly and witnessed the effects of intimate partner violence firsthand as a teen. And since then, she found a way to allow that experience to inform her work in the community. And now she says she's on a mission. Welcome, Christine, to Bridging Philly. Thanks for having me. Now, Christine, the work that you do is not for the faint-hearted, but you're no stranger to any of this. Not only are you educated in the field, but you have personal experience. So I started Purple House Project back in 2016 due to like lived experiences as well as by profession. I'm a licensed social worker. So I noticed that the community that we live in does an okay job at providing emergency services, but not a really good job at providing services after the emergency. And so um, I was inspired to provide something after the people get out of their situation. So you're about to follow through. Yes. Our mission is to strengthen, empower, and transition women through connection to essential resources. So just like you said, the follow through, the connection to resources. The community resources, just helping people find the strength within themselves. So this is a holistic approach. So you're really attacking the whole problem and the whole person looking for a lasting, enduring answer. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, our goal is to create a center called the Joy Source. And part of the reason why we call it the Joy Source is because joy is something internal and it's something that people can't take away from you. In a world where so many things have been taken away from the women that we serve, we want to provide them with resources, tangible resources that they can keep with them no matter where they go. Because two reasons. Intimate partner violence, also known as domestic violence, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It impacts people usually mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so it's important for us to provide services that combat each part of the person, right? And then also the resources that we offer are non-traditional. We meet people exactly where they are, whether that be a movie under the stars at a local community garden or whether that be a self-care day with one of the ladies that we serve and providing resources through like having conversation while eating a meal. Because I think that a lot of times a lot of the resources 
they want the people to talk about like, okay, what happened? Tell me your story over and over again in a very traditional format. But I feel like we're able to get a lot of information from the ladies just by breaking bread and just like by like sitting down, having a conversation. Having a conversation, you learn so much, not only about their story, but you're able to help pull out some of the resiliency in them. You're able to help pull out some of the resources that they might not have even known that they had. Um, so we like to do it in a holistic, non-traditional. And having a change of environment, being outside, including nature, you make a point to do that too, why? Being outside with the women is something super important. We started a community garden at a local women's shelter a couple years ago, where we like not only have conversations with the ladies, but we also are educating them about different herbs and vegetables and spices and how they can use them, not only for nutritional purposes, but also for medicinal as well. This holistic approach, it's about not only seeing yourself differently, but seeing the world differently. Options, right? Yeah, absolutely. Options are everywhere. Opportunity is everywhere. Healing is everywhere. Um, we educate people on like the importance of like just grounding, just being out in nature, getting some vitamin D, you know, having a conversation, having a walk, just being outside. Also like educating people about like the foods that we eat and how that can impact like how we feel at times as well. So a holistic approach for sure is what we're into. You've decided to start educating people on herbal medicinal uses. Yes, we partner with a couple of organizations. One of them, the Life Do Grow Farm. I think they're like 14th or 16th in Dauphin. They're incredible. They provide nutritional resources to the community, education. And we actually, for about uh, six months, one of their farmers will come out to our shelter that we work with every every Thursday and help the ladies maintain the garden and educate them as well. And so we partner with them and we also partner with Glover Gardens. Um, her name is Haja Glover and she is the one who installed our flower beds and she will come back seasonally to like help us you know grow some herbs as well as vegetables and then the goal was to also prepare meals for them as well we didn't get to that part of the um, project but that is definitely something we want to do not only grow with them but we also want to like cook meals with them as well because a lot of the work that we do is in communities that are known as food deserts and so fresh produce is not as always as accessible for them Mm -hmm. and so that was the goal how did you get here why did you decide to do this so me personally, when I was in college, I had to do what was called a genogram. And so throughout my genogram, I noticed that there was um, domestic violence that happened in my family. And I saw firsthand the impacts that happened when people didn't address the entire person um, because of the domestic violence and how like oftentimes people would put a Band-Aid on it and they wouldn't go to therapy. They wouldn't process it and, you know, the different environmental factors. And so my genogram coupled with the work that I do as a social worker, I was just like, I feel like we need to like tap into the strength that people have within and help them pull that out of them. Um, And so that was the reason why. And then I too went through a very toxic relationship. And so these are just some of the things that I use to help me like going on walks. I love to travel. And so I wanted to bring to the ladies what I experienced like when I travel and like just the beauty, like just being out in nature, I wanted to like create kind of like an oasis for the ladies at the shelter. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like there is really difficult to see outside of the four walls that you're in right now. And so I wanted to provide like joy and provide hope and like just give them experiences. So every time we go to the shelter, we always prepare really, really nice meals for them. We always like hire a chef or like cater to them. Like, and we make sure it's like a whole production, like stuff that they're not used to, you know, getting at that point. So, so you're about lifting the person up. You're about raising them to a place where they can feel empowered to do these things to change their lives themselves. 
Correct, yeah. I'm not about reminding them of why they're there. I'm reminding of them where they can go from there. I want you to tell me your part of your story that you want to tell me. Like, if you don't want to tell me that part of your story, then that's totally fine. Whatever, wherever you are is where I want to meet you at, wherever you want to go. Like, oftentimes from the first conversation, even down to our form, like our intake form, we recently created a form called a WINS form, and that's what's important now. And that's so important for us. So, like, what's important now? Is it connection to essential resources? Is it, is it helping you become a homeowner? Because we are really big about, like, helping women become homeowners, helping women become entrepreneurs. We partner with a lot of organizations, whether it be, like, do you just want clothes? Because, you know, we know that clothing insecurity is huge. And so we partner with Prevention Meets Fashion, which has been a partner of ours since conception. And we often, like, that's one of the first referrals. It's not like, you got to feel good. Like, you got to look good in order to feel good, you know? And so we're like, let's go shopping. Like, you know, so we'll connect with, you know, Prevention Meets Fashion and other organizations to make sure we get them close. It's almost impossible not to notice the light that you carry. So I feel like you're sharing this light with the women that you come in contact with. But, like, what's next? So the goal is to get an actual building. Um, We currently offer all of our services mobile. So we go to the women's shelters. We have pop-up community events. And so the goal is to create a one-stop shop where people can connect to all these resources and for us to collaborate with our community partners. And so like, I'll have people who provide mental health services in the building. I'll have someone who provides access to clothing and security, food resources, all under one roof. Because I feel like oftentimes we have a resource here and then a resource 10 blocks down and a resource like three miles away. And people get lost. And you know what I mean? It's hard to like fit in three different touch points. But if we had everything under one roof, at least the essential services, I think that could be really beneficial. Um, as well as childcare. Like I feel like a lot of times... Um, people don't have child care, and so they have to chug their children along as they're accessing these resources, sometimes as they're sharing really, really traumatizing things. And so at the facility that I want to have, I want to make sure we have some place where the children can, like, go while the mom is being, like, getting their intake done, getting their resources. Because although the children are young, they still are experiencing the energy shift in their parent. Um, and so that's the goal. Community collaboration is definitely the goal. Um, and this isn't your full-time gig. You actually have another job. I currently work full-time at a non- non-profit organization. Mm-hmm. So my goal is actually to do Purple Project full-time because I don't do it solely for full-time. So right. next year is the goal. So how can people help you? Community connections, monetary donations. Um, you can go to our website, www.purplehousepro.org. All of the resources on how to get in touch with us, how to donate. Thank you for being here. I appreciate the opportunity. The Philly Rising Changemaker is sponsored by Penn Medicine Heart and Vascular Center, performing the most advanced heart procedures in the region. KYW's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly's Rising Changemaker. See what I did there? It's been quite a season for Philly sports. The past couple of weeks, I've been everywhere talking to fans from Chickies and Pete's in South Philly to the Subaru Park Stadium in Chester. And I can tell you that the best thing about Philly being so hot right now is the way that it brings all of us together. Different races, creeds, young and older. We're all so excited for our teams and we're all so excited to be from the greatest city in America. So this week, our Phillies rising changemaker is a very special and resilient eight-year-old. She's excited, like all of us, to see her team and more specifically her favorite player, Bryce Harper, make it to the World Series. She has a message for her team and we want to help her get it to them. 
Addie Oth and her mom Bernadette know a thing or two about overcoming the odds. At age four, Addie was diagnosed with T-cell lymphoblastic leukemia. So you go from having your baby, you know, she was three weeks after her fourth birthday, um, diagnosed with cancer. And of course, that rocks your world in ways that you never thought was possible. Um, and you spend, you know, two and a half years in treatment, questioning every decision and consulting with doctors on how to raise her and what to do. After two and a half long, hard years of treatment, Addie is now healthy, happy and busy. I, ha- I do karate, aerials and hip hop. She's one of the younger and more resilient fans cheering on her favorite team, the Phillies, in the World Series. How long have you been a baseball fan? Uh, since I was a baby. <laughs> Seeing her go to third grade this year with no masks and back full in person in school and get to be a normal kid and do things like she went on her first field trip this year. Um, you know, she got to take the bus for the first time. Um, just kind of all of those normal things that you take for granted when, you know, you just think about having a kid. Um, it's been really incredible and kind of terrifying all at the same time. Um, but it's been really cool to see her hit these milestones and, and really fun to watch her come into her own and become this, you know, little human and not just a baby anymore that was going through these things. Addie and some of her friends from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society created a video rooting for the Phillies. Their hope is that their message and optimism will get them the parade they're so much looking forward to. How'd you get so strong and so positive? From my mama. Addie says her favorite player is Bryce Harper, who has partnered with the society in the past to give kids a day to be kids without worrying about cancer. She wants him to know she's returning the favor watching and cheering him on. The Phillies are heroes because they never give up and they make people happy and the whole city is rooting for them to do good. Go Phillies! <laughs> I'm KYW's Antoinette Lee and that's it for our Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. If there's someone making a difference in your community, someone you believe should be highlighted, I want to hear about it. I'm pretty easy to find. Hit me up on Twitter at ARLeeOnAir or call the station and let us know who should be our next Philly Rising Changemaker. Join us again next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel on Air. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Sharaday Howard, and our podcast producer, Tom Rickard, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.